what they did this morning to lead us in worship. They did a great job, didn't they? I tell you. Um, I tell you, if you ever need help with your heartbeat, just stand right next to one of these big boxes over here. That'll help you out a lot. So. Isn't it interesting, these uh, IT uh, tech guys, you know, I've seen Jonathan do it up here, and Wesley was doing it, you know, just sitting there reading scripture off his phone. I mean, it, get, it doesn't get any more spiritual than that, does it? I tell you, <laughs> I've often thought to myself, and I reached for my phone when he was doing it, I, I want to text when they're doing that, what you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of hit me over there. You could tell I was in the spirit mood, so, but anyway. <laughs> we're going to continue the series Kingdom Culture, and if you don't know it, we're about in our 20th week of it. So, uh, but anyway, uh, what, what we're trying to do is just explain a little more about the culture that we're trying to create here in our church family. And uh, of course, uh, I'll be reading the series introduction and making our way down through this, but uh, we're actually on the ninth Kingdom Culture uh, number, I guess. We have two more to go, and hopefully by the 1st of June, we'll finish this up. But go ahead and look on your outline. Because we are a collection of many people from various places, backgrounds, and stories, we believe culture making is essential for unifying our church family around a shared vision as we carry the world, uh, the, the message of Jesus to the world. We exist, and you, this has been around for years. We exist to love God, connect with others, and reach the world by creating a culture where Number one, Jesus is our lead story. Scripture and prayer are prime. Worship is a lifestyle. We are family. We is greater than me. We get to is greater than we got to. Transformation is greater than tradition. Generosity is common. And today we're going to be looking at multiplication is greater than addition. If you will, continue to read with me there. When a church adds a member... They're adding to their family, and we've been blessed with that around here for the last several months. God's really opened the doors to a lot of families and people joining our church. But look here, but when that church disciples a member, it's great to have the additions, but when that church disciples a member, they are multiplying the kingdom of God. The result of true discipleship is when there is multiplication. When people are transformed by the gospel, then are discipled, then those who are discipled lead others to Christ. That is multiplication. And that's the goal. That's what we're attempting to do around here. And I thought Callie coming and sharing what God's doing in her life there in Guatemala, that is the picture of what it's supposed to be like. She came to our church family as a young girl and, and, and grew through our student ministry. And God began to work on her heart about missions. And, and all of a sudden, she's out there doing it multiplying the kingdom of God. That's through the efforts of all those who have made investments in her life through the years that she's able to be here with us. Here it is. We desire to do more than just invite others to church so a pastor can share Christ with them. It is our call, command, and privilege to carry the name of Christ to our workplaces, our schools, our homes, and our communities. Making disciples is not a calling for a few but a command to all, and we find that in Scripture. We also believe, and this is so important to my heart, we also believe that discipleship does not originate in the church. Discipleship begins in the home. God created the family to be the primary center for discipleship. Not the children's ministry, the student ministry, or even the church in general. In the context of discipleship, listen, the church and its ministries are in place to equip and enhance the discipleship in the home. 
When a family has a child, they are adding to their family. But when a family disciples a child, they are multiplying the kingdom. And that's what we're called to do, to multiply the kingdom. Matthew chapter 28, that's what Jesus is saying. It's not about the additions. It's talking about multiplying the kingdom with the influence of the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You're actually turning to probably my favorite verses in the Bible because I believe this defines the calling that God's placed on my life and the leadership that I'm trying to lead when it comes to this local church. So as you turn, listen to this. If we do not have a culture in our church that disciples, then we are not doing what we were created and mandated to do. And we will be a a miserable failure if we don't acknowledge the fact that God's called us to discipleship. Whether we're talking about in our children's ministry, our student ministry, our adult ministry, uh, there in your homes, us encouraging you in your homes to build disciples. If we fail, we fail what God's called us to do. So the first thing I want you to see on your outline, the tutors of discipleship. Who are those that God has called out to lead us in this endeavor? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he himself, the whole reference there to he is Christ. So he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Now, what's interesting about the first three that are listed there, they are what you would call itinerant. Those are those in the church that kind of go from church to church, and they're trying to stir up good things and and bring the emphasis of what God desires for the local church. But then you look at where it says pastors and teachers, and those who are they are those who are attached to the church. They're physically there to lead and to lead out in discipleship. Now look at the word gave there in this verse. It means he gave these gifts on the decision of his will. It wasn't a matter of God saying, hey, I like this one. I think I'll give him this gift. And I'll, uh, that one there I'm not too sure about. I think I'll give him this gift. That's not how it works. It's just he just gave gifts. And one gift is just as important as the other gift. And what we find in Scripture is this is not the only list. There's a list in Romans chapter 12. There's another list in Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's many lists of gifts that operate in the body. And by the way, in case you didn't know it, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible teaches you have a gift. Some of you may not know what it is yet. Maybe you haven't gotten that far in your discipleship. But you need to take that step to understand what God has called you to do and the purpose for your life. If you look closely at these five, I gave you a, a study that you can do with the verses that shows, them, that shows these, each of these in action. You see the apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors. Do you know what the pastors really are? They're shepherds. They're the ones who go out and just take care of the body. They take care of the body. Guess what? There's no way five pastors on this staff can, can accommodate this many people. So it takes each of us understanding the call that's placed on our lives. And then you see teachers. We have many teachers besides those who are pastors who, 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 who develop their gifts and seek what God's seeking. And this morning, many of them taught other connect groups this morning. And some will do it throughout the week. Those are things that God has called us to do. All in the context of discipleship. So God's strategy for the accomplishment of his plan of discipleship. Listen, it's not a sporting event. Some of you, maybe you go to the races or went yesterday or planning to go next Sunday to the races. You're impressed that I know when they are? 
Yeah, I got redneck in me. I'm pretty good at it, actually. But anyway, but, but I'll tell you this. It's amazing how we'll sit in the stands. We'll watch what happens right there on the track. Sometimes it's even more fun to watch the people sitting next to you. But, but anyway, I'll shut up about that. But, but anyway, um, <laughs> but, but the thing is, when you're there, you're, you're, you're a spectator. You're looking. You're, you're looking at those in the cars go around in a circle over and over again. You're looking in the pits, and you're seeing tires come off and tires go on and adjustments made to the car and headphones everywhere. I mean, everybody's working there. But those who are sitting in the stands, what are we doing? We're watching. Did you know God did not design the church to be that way? Being a church member is not a spectator sport. It's all of us using the resources he's given us, whether we're talking about our finances or our giftings or whatever it is, all for the cause of discipleship. And what is discipleship? Bringing people in uh, into the kingdom, leading them to Christ, and then teaching them where they can lead others to Christ. That's multiplication. And that's what he desires. That's the picture of discipleship. Now, let's look a little more closely. Look on your outline. The task of discipleship. The first thing you see there is equipping. And it literally means to provide what is needed to be complete. Now, let's just face it. None of us have arrived yet. Anybody arrived? If you raise your hand, I'm going to call you out. I'll tell you. <laughs> None of us have arrived we, we, listen, we won't arrive till we see him face to face. And the key for us to understand is this. There's something in each of us that needs to be completed. There, we don't have it all together, and we need each other. We need the word. But we need this idea of equipping. Look at verse 12. Why are these in place? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Equipping. It's not only to supply what need, is needed to complete. It also means to mend, to repair. It literally means to set a bone. You know how discipleship really happens in a church? I've been around enough, uh, long enough to know how it happens. It, m most of the time it happens through means of crisis. What will happen is, and, and I've seen it play over and over again. person, maybe they're like, you know, we really need to go to church. Bubba at work's been telling me we need to go to church. We should go to their church. We, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of talk about it, but it never happens. And then all of a sudden, something comes into that person's world to shake their world. A relationship gone wrong. A bad health report. A loss of a job. Something goes wrong. And you know what many times they'll do? They'll turn to what they should have turned to years ago, months ago, whatever. They'll turn to the church. Many times I have seen discipleship begin in a person's life from a crisis. I've seen it over and over again. I know that's what they're dealing with in the marriage ministry here. It, it, it comes, crisis brings it up. And all of a sudden, a lot of times before good discipleship can happen where we're seeing multiplication, we got to get this person or this couple to a point where they can receive that, where they can receive. Healing's got to take place. This is part of it, the equipping. So really the question is this. Are you equipped to carry out what God's called you to do? The way he'll equip us is through his word. It's not the opinion of the pastor. It's not the opinion of the pastor across town. It's not the opinion of anybody. On it's the opinion of his word. 
And the thing we need to understand is this. God wants us to be involved in this ministry. But here's what happens. Many of you will say something like, well, I don't know enough about the Bible to, to tell someone. I don't know how to help them. If you're saying it comes by way of crisis, and it does a lot of times, I don't know, I don't know how to help them. Well, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's probably because you've never been discipled. Listen, I don't have all the answers either. They show up in my office, and sometimes I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what do I say next? Now, a lot of you think, well, you're supposed to be spirit-led, preacher. You're supposed to be sitting there hearing from God directly. What do you want to tell me? Sometimes I'm mortified by some things I hear. Sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm not braced for what I thought I was going to hear. And, and, and sometimes it's one of these things, well, man, let's pray about that. Because sometimes you don't know where to carry it. But you know what? You're there, though. You're making yourself available. You're there. And what God has shown you, he, he'll, he'll allow you to use that. I've told you this many times. The greatest ministry that I believe I have is through the experiences I've been through. And I can say, I can so relate to what you're talking about. Hey, did you have, you ever had a bad marriage? I can relate to it. My wife can relate to it. <laughs> you, ever had, you ever had kids go wayward? Jonathan came real close. <laughs> no, but really, it's those things in your life where you just speak out of your life. But we're called. All of us are called. Listen to what Jesus said. He, said. he said this. The Son of Man did not come to be served. How many of you can finish it? But to serve. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Now let's, let's, let's really get our minds around this. Son of God leaves heaven. He comes here to serve, not to be served. Where do we find him? One event we saw him washing feet. Another place, he's serving tables. I mean, it's amazing what you're seeing there. And then we have the gall to come into to his church and say, yeah, I'm not too sure about that serving stuff. He came to serve. How dare us think we're above that? <laughs> and it's amazing when we look at it, but we're called to help equip, to bring what is lacking. And guess what? If you're not using your gift and you know God's placed you in this body, guess what? This body is lacking because you're not using your gift. Next, edifying. To strengthen, it means to strengthen by instruction and encouragement. Verse 12 again, he says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Some translate this this way, building up the body of Christ. Now, what's interesting about this, this letter was written to a local church. We could say the, the church universal is represented here, but no, this was actually written to a local church. And, and guess what? It can still speak to this local church. But here's what's interesting. We all have that ability. God's given us what we need to strengthen others by instruction from his word and just through sheer encouragement. Edifying and building are both words which imply progress, growth. There was a house a couple days, well, several months back that burned right down from us in our neighborhood. And... Um, one of the neighbors who attends here called me. I was here at the office and said, you may want to come home and check on your house. And I said, well, what's going on? I said, the house just down from me is on fire. I said, really? It'd be all right. I hung the phone up. I looked outside and I saw the trees bending. And I was sitting there thinking, 
that's a lot of wind out there to be a fire near my house. So anyway, guess what? I went and saw that the house was fine. Um, there was another gentleman, a member of our church, that was standing there talking to the homeowner. I walked up, and we began to talk to the homeowner. We had prayer with him. But can you imagine standing there watching your house go up in flames? And he's standing there, and he's like, well, I really, what do you do in something like this? He needed guidance. He needed comforting. He needed a whole lot. And so as we stood there, we just, there was, I've, I've never had a house burn. I don't know what it's like to lose things that are very precious to me. I don't, I don't even know how to relate to that. But you know what we did? I was on one side and the other member was on the other and we just stood there with him. Occasionally we'd pat him on the back when he'd say something. Didn't really know what to say. But I want to use that house as a picture of discipleship. Sometimes people come to the church or come to our church in, in such a way that crisis brings them there. And it's nothing, it, it could be just like a house burning. They think their world's come to an end. They think, they think hope is all gone. They think, oh my goodness, all that is back there. And all, that, and all of a sudden, it just burns. When I showed up on the scene, the, the flames were shooting out of the roof of the house. Total loss. But you know what happened? Just a couple months later, they started tearing down the remains of the house. The house was gone in a day and a half. They took everything out of there in a day. I was amazed by that more than anything. But here's what happened. Just weeks after that, they started rebuilding, started rebuilding the foundation on something solid, on something that they could rebuild that structure on. Do you realize that's a picture of what we do around here? People come to us in their crisis. People come to us and they need encouragement. People come to us because they know there's something lacking. That's what all these words mean. And all of a sudden, they're like, where do I turn? Where do, where do we turn them? We turn them to Jesus and his word. That's the foundation. This other stuff must go. It needs to be. That is a catastrophe. It's a total loss sometimes. And what we're introducing them to is something brand new. And that's what they need. So it's a picture of building, edifying. So my question is this. What are we building? Are you helping as a church family, building disciples through equipping and edifying is what we've been called to do. Next, why do we equip and edify? And there we have the target of discipleship. A better word probably would have been goal, but you know my, the way I do this. I needed a T word, okay? So I had to use target, all right? So notice the phrase in verse 13 says, till we all come. The, the question, when you see something like that in Scripture, is this. Am I included in that? Guess what? You are. <laughs> you're included in that. Whether you're talking about the inheritance we receive as Christians, whether you're talking about what salvation gets us, we're included in that. And it could be when it talks about serving God. We're all included in that. All of us, listen, are necessary and all of us are called to focus on the target of salvation. So how are you growing? Listen, if you're not growing or you've never grown, you won't be able to help someone else. How are you growing? What specifically are you doing to grow? About three months ago, some of you probably had this practice for years. We kind of went in and out of it, but we've pretty much, we've gotten older. How many of you, when you get older, you know you should just start locking into routines? You know what I'm talking about? And you, you start getting real comfortable with those routines. Some of you are sitting there like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> 
we, my, my, Tina and I are there. We're, we're empty nesters and we're there. So, so I, I mean, I hate to admit this, but we normally would watch TV to go to sleep. And I told her, I said, you know, I told her about three months ago, I said, why don't we do something there? Why don't we just read ourselves to sleep? She said, I won't get through a paragraph. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so we've been doing that. And, 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 and guess what? Each of those months, now I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you how things have changed for me. Each of those months we've done that, I've read two books a month just by reading a chapter or two each night. Y'all, I'm, I'm, I'm investing in myself to grow. I'm, I very carefully pick the books. I'm not much of a fiction reader. I want to read something at work. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But anyway, and, and I'm constantly doing that. And, and, and it's really starting to help me. And it needs, we all need certain disciplines in our lives if we're not growing. Now, that's something very simplistic, but you'd be amazed at what you can do if you start reading 12 books a year. You'd be amazed at what God can do in and through you, especially when it comes around the Word of God like they should. The phrase, when he says come to, it literally means to attain, which implies one traveling or reaching a desired destination. Discipleship is intended to carry people to a desired destination, a destination that God wants them to go to. So that leads us to what is Paul talking about? He's talking about four targets of our discipleship. Number one, that we come to the unity of faith, of the faith. That means oneness. That means that we're all moving in the same direction. That means that we love each other. That means we can tolerate each other at times. It means we can agree to disagree sometimes. But there is a oneness about us in which we're moving in such a direction that we're efficient in, disciple making, in the disciple-making uh, process. Now, let me say this. And I'm not picking on them. I, I just heard of one this past week. A lot of churches. There's so much infighting going on. There's so many disagreements going on. They can't accomplish anything. They're just trying to survive, to get along. We should be beyond that. And thank goodness, really, this church is. Listen, I hear the horror stories of what some pastors are living through and what, the ways they're trying to move churches, and they can't even get the, the group to come together. We're a blessed place. We could use many, many more of you stepping up, however, but we're a blessed place, in a good place. And so when you look at it, he says the unity of the faith. We're all coming. We're going in the same direction. Second of all, that we come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Look beside that. I put accurate truth. There are so many pictures of the way people see God in this day and age. Can I tell you what it comes down to? People want to create God in their own image. They really do. They want a God they don't have to answer to. They want a God they are not accountable to. They want a God that, that, that's only on the love side. So you hear all the... Have you noticed all this talk is around love? Love is this. And love is, love is just... I'm about sick of it, to be honest with you. But anyway, listen. Love, listen. Love, in the context of the way I raise my children, involved me being tender at times. And it involved me being tough at times. If you're not a parent who, who, who displays tenderness and toughness to your children, you're going to have problems. You can't just be tough and you can't just be tender. You've got to be both. And the world wants that kind of God who, who's just tender. Nothing about the other, the tough love. And this is what's best for you. Listen, I tell you this all the time. 
Test me on this. Every command you find in Scripture, listen, protects you and provides for you. And he's saying, this is the best way. Our discipleship should look just like that. Now, let's keep moving. An accurate truth. Now, um, a third target. He says, till we come to a perfect man. Now, the word perfect in Scripture, you've got to be careful with that word because it almost implies that we've reached a destination. Has anybody in the room reached a destination of perfection? Nope, you haven't. Okay? You haven't. Double negative, I know. I'm keeping record, too, how many times I mess up English, okay? But anyway... <laughs> It speaks of maturing faith. It means something that's not lacking. Things are in place. So he says, to a perfect man. What does that look like? Well, I started looking at this. This is not on your outline. But moving to maturity the way I see it is in our view of who God is. When we see him accurately in our understanding of God, in our understanding of God's plan for us, in our understanding that we are to surrender our lives to him, in our understanding in our new identity that is found in him. Paul, one of the greatest New Testament writers, constantly said, in Jesus, in Christ, in him. Every bit of that is is all about identification. We are now to identify with him. But there's two things I want to point out here that you better get your minds around, especially if you're parents. He says, the target of discipleship, there's two I want to pull out. The knowledge of the Son of God, that accurate truth of who God is, And that perfect man, it means a maturing faith that's not lacking. You know what that literally means? It's a faith that can be defended. It's a faith that can stand up to the test of temptation. That's what he's talking about here. These these two are the most important things when it comes to our children. Listen, let let me tell you this. Let me tell you one thing that's changed over the last several decades. It used to be... Most of the words that were spoken into the life of a child came from their parents, the school they attended, which can be good or bad, but I mean, the school they attended, who's had an influence there, and maybe the church. Now the whole world has come in. The internet has made a way for everyone to speak into the lives of your children. And I'm here to tell you, there's many views about God. You better give them the accurate view. Because let me just tell you this, when they go off to school, it's going to be challenged. It's going to be challenged. So if you were to say, okay, pastor, I have children. I have, I have newborns. I have preschoolers. I have, I have elementary age kids. I have middle schoolers. I, start right now. Start yesterday. <laughs> and remember, keep these things in focus when you're moving through. That you are to be the lead discipler of your children. You are called to give them an accurate view of God. You are called to, to, to help them in the proper move of discipleship with an intended destination to, to a maturing disciple of Christ, a one who is maturing in a way that they can defend their faith in their mind and in their heart, and they can stand up against temptation. Those are very important things that we need to teach our children. Next, the last target of discipleship, the fullness of Christ. It carries the whole weight of complete, fully grown. In verse 13, it says, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. It's the idea of complete conformity to the image of, of Christ. Howard Hendricks, he taught a lot of pastors. He's, he's, he's a great writer, was. He wrote this. 
The Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity, but to make you conform to Christ's image. Not to make you a smarter sinner, but to make you like the Savior. Not to fill your head with a collection of Bible facts, but to transform your life. Transform your life. It's a big difference. The body of Christ is to radiate the beauty of Christ to a spiritually dead world by walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And these are the targets. These are the goals of discipleship. It goes further. What's the testimony of the disciple? What happens when you get them on the other side and they're following these things over here? What, what could be the results? Well, follows correct doctrine. It comes with it. They follow the correct doctrine, the right doctrine. Look at verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. He's basically saying, put these things in your life. Let the church help you in that. But parents, you need to understand, you got a big role in this. Let me, let me help you understand that. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, as a result of these things, they'll follow correct doctrine. They won't be easily swayed. It means... The phrase he uses here in 14, it means to be thrown into confusion. Let me tell you what happens to many college freshmen. They go into that class. They hear all these different messages about who God is, if there even is a God. And they're sitting there with this newfound freedom. You remember? Many of you have already gone through it. That newfound freedom. And now all of a sudden, they got everywhere they turn... People creating doubt in her faith. And everywhere they turn, they got all these new freedoms. How do you think that's going to go when they can't stand up in their own heart and mind against those temptations? Because they really wonder, well, is there even a God? Or is there even... And listen, I know that we as parents, we can only guide them there. They've got to take it. I understand that part of it. But I'm here to tell you that is a big role that we have. We don't want them following the wind. We don't want them to be like children tossed to and fro. The picture you have here is a small sailboat being blown in one direction and then another wind by another direction. That's the culture. It's the culture that keeps changing. When it says carried about, it literally means to move from one place to another. Hopefully, listen, you are trusting that I am preaching good doctrine. Y'all, I work really hard at making sure I'm teaching good doctrine, the right doctrine. Because I believe that is, that's our only hope, <laughs> to know what God says, to know what God says. You're trusting me to do that, that you may know good doctrine, that you can pass on good doctrine. That's the goal. What is good doctrine? Well, for, for the first thing, it's It's truth. <laughs> It's truth. And it's also something you can trust to build your life upon. That's good doctrine. Here we go. The testimony of the disciple. Not easily and comfortably deceived. Look at verse 14. It says, By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. The trickery of men. Let me just say this. I personally believe men and women, even this, this generation... Is, is not that smart to come up with the deep concepts of deception that are out there. I believe there's an enemy orchestrating it all. You say, oh, you're one of those who believes there's a demon behind every bush. I didn't say that. I believe greater who is in me than he is, in, is, is greater than he is in the world. I believe that we already have the victory. But I'm here to tell you, you better be aware. And think about this. 
Think about how God intentionally places you, how he placed you in this generation. He placed you in this church. If this is the church, you, you believe God's placed you in. He's intentionally placed you in this community. He's, eventually, he, he, he's placed you with the people that are around you at this time. Do you think God does that? Does he care about us to, to do that? He does when you study the whole doctrine of sovereignty. But guess who else is working? The enemy. He'd love to bring someone out there that God doesn't have in mind for you into your life. He'd love to take some kind of concept that you're out there toying with in your mind to, to justify your sin or rationalize your sin. He would love to do all that. And if you don't have the core of what God's called us to when it comes to good doctrine, when it comes to knowing what you believe and knowing that God, who he truly is, not a God that we made in our image, but the God who is God. Did you know, man, I'm just going to talk to you just for a second. My family is counting on me not to be deceived. I wish I could say that I have passed with flying colors. No, I've been deceived at times. And I've seen directly how it's hurt my family at times. But my family's counting on me. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Next, the testimony of the disciple. They're accountable. They're accountable. Look at verse 15. But speaking in truth, speaking the truth in love. Every one of us need that person in our life that will speak into our lives that will speak truth into our lives. That's so important. And guess what? Most people, let me just tell you this. Most people won't do that unless you invite them to do that. Did you know that? Most people won't do that. So here's my question. Who have you gone to to say, I want you to speak into my life when something's not right? When you see me going in a direction that you believe is contrary to what you think God wants for me, you have permission to speak into my life. I guarantee you, most men, most, anybody, most people in this room have never had that conversation with a soul. But that's what that looks like. That's what discipleship looks like. Next, testimony of the disciple belongs to a local church. You're sitting there saying, well, I figured he'd get to that. He's a pastor of a church, so surely he's going to put that in there. I didn't put it in there. God did. Let me show you. First of all, grows within the church. Ephesians 4, second part of verse 15. That they may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. Who is Christ the head of in the scripture? The church. He's the head. It's the church. We're the body. It's, notice what he says. All things. All things. What God desires for you. The things we previously said. It's right there on your list. Those are the things he wants you to excel in. Those are the directions of this, that discipleship should take in your life. But here's what happens. A lot of people will come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And they'll hear my attempts at bringing you the word of God. And you'll leave here and nothing changes. Listen, let me tell you where I am on this. I believe the only way I'm going to grow is, when, is if when I come in here, I'm prepared to hear what God wants to tell in my heart. i got to be prepared. 
It can't be, and bless your heart, some of you ladies got preschoolers hanging all over you and snot all over the side of your face. And I understand your dilemma. You don't even know if you got your dress inside, all right? Well, anyway, you, or your pants or whatever. And you come in here and you do the best you can just to sit down and take in what you can take in. I understand that. I watched my wife go through that. Notice I said I watched my wife go through that. But anyway, listen, I understand that. But there needs to be at some point when you finally get in here still. And Wesley won't mind if you're just sitting back there in your little corner in your chair saying, God, I need you to speak to my heart right now. Speak to my heart. Prepare me as I go into worship. You got to prepare your heart to receive. And then when you leave here, you got to be intentional. You get, listen, if I were you, this is when I know God's really working in my heart. If I heard a message... I listen to radio. I listen to these wonderful preachers out there that can preach circles around most of us. Listen, I listen to those guys. And if I can't take away three good things that I want in my life, they weren't worth listening to. And every week I try to give you more than that. <laughs> but my point is this. What's the action plan? If you don't have an action plan, you're not growing. You've got to have an action plan. So you're growing in Christ. Number, number two, your connect connects within the church. It says in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies. That means he's placed everyone in their place. There's giftings, there's resources to meet the needs. Everything is there. And we are to connect in it. You've heard Gary say it. You've heard me say it. You won't be everything you can be as a Christian by just sitting in a room that draws a crowd. It's going to take you getting around other people. To fulfill what he says about discipleship. Accountability. Someone being there with you. Someone walking through life with you. We need each other. It must be intention, an intentional placement. Connectedness. And then there will be intimacy from there. Next. Belongs to a local church. Serves within the church. Verse 16. According to the effective working, he's talking about this unit of people, the effective working, we're all getting along, we're in the unity of faith, we're growing together, we're, we're coming together, hold each other accountable, but there's a service part to it, and here's what it says, by which every part, what does it say? Sits and watches the professionals do it. Every part does its share. Guess who is a part? You. You. It implies every part is needed and necessary. If you look at verse 16, it's really a desired creation. It's a masterpiece that Christ has made. Here's what I'm convinced of. Let me read the last part. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Here's what I believe every church should be. If you were to say, God, what do you want us to be? I want you to be a masterpiece. And I've shared with you in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, what that masterpiece looks like. That's what I want you to be. Not only us as a church, as a group, but you as an individual. This is what he wants. This is what he's after. Will we rise to the challenge? Would you stand with me? Bow your heads. Father, we just come to you right now and Lord, I know that you desire to do a deeper work in our lives. I know that I believe one of